0: Hello and welcome to Start Your Week from the Bunker with me, Alex A turbulent week stretches ahead both domestically and internationally. Reading the runes, I have with me Gavin Esler. Morning, Gavin. Good morning. Gavin, Sue Gray Day has proved to be a particularly elusive new holiday, uh, a moving feast whose eve has lasted two weeks. Finally, it seems to be upon us. What do you expect? Goodness knows. It is sort of like waiting for your birthday and your birthday
1: never comes, isn't it? You just want to know what's in, what are the presents? What are we going to get? What I would hope was simply one word, truth. I just want to know what happened. I think many of us have got a fairly good idea what happened, but this is dragging out. And I, I suspect the whole thing is because this is not a government which does governing. This is a government which does marketing It doesn't do Mm. much production either. It doesn't actually get things done. And so we get this, you know, barrage of news and phony news and announcements and so on, uh, which uh, undoubtedly we're going to get this week to try and cover it. And all we really want as a nation is the facts and to be able to move on with or without the current prime minister
0: yeah including apparently a new cancer drug from the health secretary yesterday that uh, cancer specialists have been prescribing for years um all of whom responded to him saying this isn't a new drug um,
1: yes I, I mean i i saw that and i you know these cancer specialists are saying oh, Mate, we've been doing it for literally <laughs> years. We can't the, announce, the, yeah, yeah he'll, be, he'll be announcing the invention of, um, I, I, I don't know, tea bags or something. Or yeah, uh, I, I suspect
0: right. they have their media grid and nothing will <laughs> impinge on it. With the Met investigation, most of the controversial parties will not be included in the uh, Gray report in any detail. Does that create a a danger, actually, for the government? Because we all have a vague idea of the full list of uh, uh, incidents she was looking at. So if the report doesn't include uh, several of the big ones that Johnson attended, Will that create an implication that uh, Johnson is being criminally investigated at the moment?
1: I think it will. I mean, the the way I look at this, actually, is that the government clearly think that their only a choice, here, or Johnson thinks, his only choice here is to drag it out. Yeah. But, you know, Watergate dragged out for two years and Nixon yeah, yeah. still had to go. So dragging it out is, not, again, not a strategy. It is a tactic. And this is a government which is very good at tactics, because it's uh, the politics of distraction. But eventually, we will find out what actually does very much worry me, is that the institutions of this country are being tainted by this, the police, the Met police, and you know, whatever you think of individuals in the Met police, we need them, we need, we need a police force. That's mm. why we have them. A- Sue Gray is undoubtedly an outstanding individual. But if her report is neutered, we start to think, how is the civil service actually working? We've had attacks on the civil service. And government clearly itself isn't working. We live in a country which does not have a codified or written constitution. And so we need to be able to rely on certain norms of behavior that people will behave in a particular way. And many of those have gone, including the norm of behaviour which says if you get caught out doing something which is potentially illegal, or ve- at least very, very unwise, you resign. So mm-hmm. that's what actually worries me, beyond this kind of barrage of nonsense that we're
0: getting from violence. From- and I think what what some of the commentators have got wrong, in my view, is that they've looked at the sort of swing back behind Johnson in the last week and have interpreted as somehow the party moving to support him. And I think what has happened was that effectively Johnson made a declaration last week that I'm not going to go quietly. It's precisely what you're saying. Our conventions rely on people doing the right thing. And what Johnson announced this week is that I will fight this to the end. I'm not going to voluntarily do the right thing, which I think changes the calculation for the MPs that want him out we are also getting a very very organised effort by the government to reset we are seeing many facets of that in the coming week there is a slew of expected announcements on everything from passenger rights to the levelling up uh, a white paper which is expected this week johnson however seems to have lost the fight with the treasury to reverse the national insurance rise, which was the biggie, the one a lot of backbenchers were demanding on him. What do you make of that little spat? Well, uh, there's the sort of big picture that the economists think about and, and others,
1: which is uh, what kind of tax is national insurance? Is it more regressive than income tax? Would it be better to fund it this uh, the money that we need as a nation in different ways? And, and I see much to recommend in thinking that national insurance is not the best way of doing things if you have a levelling up agenda, because essentially poorer people will pay more as a proportion of their income. For me, again, it's not about us. It's about them. So you are Boris Johnson. You do not want to lose Rishi Sunak at this Mm. moment. If Mm. Sunak were to quit and say, hold on a minute, we agreed this, Prime Minister, and you are now saying because you are under pressure from your backbenchers that we should maybe change this, I'm sorry, if that's what you are saying, I will go. That would be the end for Johnson. He can't lose his Chancellor. If you think that he is in politics for us for the nation, I would with respect say that you're wrong, and he's in it for himself. So what's best for the nation and what's best for Boris have always been two different things. And what's best for Boris is to keep Rishi Sunak. And if that means doing whatever he says on national insurance is a way of funding future Mm -hmm. spending, he's going to go along with it.
0: There has been some speculation that effectively, a very senior cabinet resignation could trigger more letters going into the 1922 committee, etc. But if Sunak is on board, which I suspect that that's what the joint article they penned about national insurance is really about, I can't see Priti Patel going because Johnson has supported her at a time when she should have gone and because she's not really seen as a mover and shaker at the moment. Liz Truss has sort of made it a feature of her leadership bid that she will stay loyal to Johnson till the end. I think she doesn't want to be seen as the one that caused him to fall because there is a political price to that. I mean, does that leave anyone, Health Secretary, maybe Sajid Javid? He has form on resigning. But then again, he's used that particular trick once with Johnson already, and he's quite new in post. Is there anyone else that you think will be on a sort of suicide watch?
1: Not really. I mean, the other big figure uh, who is much less well known to the public because he actually gets on with the job is Ben Wallace, who's the defence secretary, who Mm. is actually Uh, you know, I've read quite a lot that he's written about Russia and other things, and he is quite a a rock, and I don't think he will go. I don't think at the moment there will be any further defections, um, Mm. particularly since we are seeing the ramping up of the crisis with Russia over Ukraine. We are just going to stagger on. The reason that I was thinking about Watergate uh, in this context is it was said that someone was just left during Watergate twisting in the wind. And so, uh, Boris Johnson is, in that sense, doing precisely that. And he will flannel around and he will do all the look at me. Uh, here I am wearing sort of high-vis jackets going to wherever it is. Yeah, uh, And we're going to have to suffer that for a bit without actually having any policies that are going to be put into practice.
0: Talking of high-vis jackets, the main raft of announcements today focuses on the fact that it is exactly one year from getting Brexit not done. UK in the changing Europe has published a pretty depressing report that shows the cost as the cost of COVID decreases, the cost of Brexit is going the other way. They m- meet briefly for a moment, but the cost of Brexit will continue to grow for years. We are also seeing a return of queues at Dover. The government is publishing its own report today on the benefits of Brexit. Is this substantive or just more red meat, do you think? Well, I mean,
1: the the headlines in the Brexit supporting press have been things like Boris to cut red tape. And Boris has a plan. And I'm afraid uh, when Boris Johnson appears in the same sentence as the word plan, you know that nothing is going to happen. You know, this is <laughs> the guy who had a plan for the Garden Bridge, the Thames Estuary Airport. The You know, we, I could go go through the list. The plan for... What, where his plans come when he's in trouble so when he had, was in trouble with northern ireland we were going to build a tunnel and then it was a bridge to northern ireland which cost us millions to find out what anybody knew which is it would never happen <laughs> and now we have a plan to cut red tape well the red tape is the red tape because we've left Left the European Union, and I was fascinated by uh, the, the Times today, which is a sort of because its editorial line is is basically pro Boris, uh, while while he still seems useful. Uh, talking about cutting red tape in this this bill, and we will save a billion pounds. It's always a nice round figure. You know? Yes,
0: isn't it suspiciously round that figure of a billion? So you're talking about the the late. Uh, yesterday, a, a sort of bill was trailed by Attorney General Suele Braverman that promises to make it easier to scrap existing regulations. And as you say, the figure it will save is a big, fat, round £1 billion. Sorry.
1: Really, coincidentally, it comes to an absolutely round right number.
0: But, 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 but also,
1: two things I'd say about that. One is that those all those red tape regulations, which we all hate, were ones that the British government assented to when we were members of the European Union, because that's the way the European Union works. And the second thing is the Times journalists, you know, whatever the headlines say, the Times journalists are basically honest folk who get to the story. And there's a bit in it which says, however, all this did not specify exactly what provisions the bill would contain or how it calculated that businesses would save a billion pounds. In other words, it's a headline without without much of a
0: story let me point out the perennial it's up to one billion pounds <laughs> so we're That's talking about what i earn, I earn not every possible regulation you know i buy a toaster and it explodes but too bad um <laughs> you know brexit uh got done i have a different question if they could have done all this so quickly and so easily why didn't they do it two years ago Yes, uh, that's a very good question. And I have another question,
1: which is that there were occasionally queues at Dover, because I spend a lot of time in Kent. I'm Chancellor of the University of Kent. But the queues (laughs) at Dover have got much worse since Brexit. Now, I would dare to suggest that maybe the queues are caused by Brexit and by the increasing red tape, which this government has
0: insisted on because we have got a hard Brexit. Looking internationally, it is also tainted by our domestic policies. There are ongoing diplomatic efforts to restabilize the situation at the Ukrainian border. Johnson is calling Putin later today, and Truss is expected to visit Moscow. Is this to do with Ukraine or is it to do with a possible Tory leadership contest?
1: I think it has got to do with Ukraine, in a sense, but uh, the idea that Boris steps in and saves the Ukrainian people from from the Russians is uh, is not going to happen. And Liz Truss, I mean. Liz Truss, when she was negotiating trade deals as our trade secretary, negotiated a trade deal with Japan, which was simply a copy of the existing EU-Japan trade deal. And then she then boasted that it means that soya sauce is going to be cheaper. She called it soya sauce when everybody else calls it soy sauce. So that is always in my head when I think about her <laughs> going to Russia She went to Australia and was described by a former Australian prime minister, as I'm quoting here, demented. So I am not holding my breath for any major breakthrough. The key thing is that, as I said about Ben Wallace, the defence secretary, he is very well prepared. He is uh, working hard, but we are a small power. You know, the Global Britain Initiative came after a defence review which reduces the uh, the British army to about 75,000 troops, which was the level it was at in 1715 during the War of the Spanish Succession. So we are not a big hitter uh, in this. Mm. We are only a player because we are part of NATO, because we work together with other nations for the common good. And the Ukraine crisis, the other part about the Ukraine, though, is that we should expose much more of what, what Putin's real problem is. Vladimir Putin's problem is that Russia is an underdeveloped country. It should be very rich, but uh, he and his Kremlin cronies have stolen a lot of the money. And the result of Mm. that is that when he says that Ukraine is really the same as Russia, they are our brothers, they they are our people. If that argument is right, then the one thing Vladimir Putin cannot accept is a successful democratic Ukraine becoming richer. And that is the road which democracy appears to be bringing Ukraine. So that's why he's so concerned, because his people in Russia will look on Ukraine. And if they see it surviving and successful as a democracy, that is a major strategic blow for Russia. So he can can go on about, you know, NATO has moved eastwards and all that sort of stuff. But the real problem is, how is it going to affect his people in Russia if they see a country next door doing better?
0: Yes, as a a Russian friend of mine um, put it to me a few days ago, when the tick is bigger than the dog, the (laughs) dog's health deteriorates quite rapidly. (laughs) Now, on a completely different subject, your other half is a musician. So you know quite a lot about this recent phenomenon of big names pressing Spotify to drop certain anti-vax podcasts. Can you explain the row a little bit to our listeners?
1: Yes, in fact, in fact, there's two rows. But the the one which has surfaced in the last few days is about the Joe Rogan podcast. Joe Rogan is very mm-hmm. popular. He's got 100 million apparently from Spotify for, for he's, a, he's an American comedian. He's got 11 million listeners. And uh, he has made To put it politely, some very controversial statements about uh, coronavirus, which have been attacked by medical professionals. And he's been seen by some to be undermining essentially the vaccination programme. I mean, Mm. he's not a virologist and he wouldn't claim to be. And he's got into the kind of not quite down the Trump road, but uh, far enough down that to cause concern. So two great heroes of, of music, Joni Mitchell and Neil Young, have withdrawn their catalogues from Spotify. And they can, I mean, I, I stand with them. I think that they're both people of that age group which suffered from polio and both contracted polio, actually. So they're polio yeah. survivors. And the vaccination means we don't have to think about it. So they feel strongly about it. And I see why. And I think they're great people. The, the uh, Spotify have uh, given the choice. They're keeping Joe Rogan. And they're prepared to let them go. But they're now changing slightly to try to monitor content a bit. And the thing that gets me about Spotify and gets many of my musician friends is if you charge people money for content, you're responsible for the content. That's part of it. The other part of the argument is slightly different, which is do musicians, the people who provide that content, actually get rewarded enough for their own efforts? They almost have to be on it now, especially younger musicians, because that's the way to reach the wide audience. Yep. So it's got great benefits, but they get, they get a pittance. And even Taylor Swift, a few years ago, writing in the Wall Street Journal, was really quite brutal. She said, uh, you know, creativity is valuable and you guys aren't paying for it, to, to simplify but she came back to Spotify because she has to. And there's a big row going on in Britain and elsewhere with musicians, unions and a, a, another representative saying to governments, we need to do something about these streaming services because essentially they are not paying the people that they make their money from. Because most of us, if you subscribe, it's because you like a particular, you like Beyonce or whoever it is, and you think the money goes to them. Well, some of it does, but most of it goes to the people who provide the service.
0: So Spotify have said today they're going to put a sort of advisory on the podcast in question and other podcasts that share what they describe as controversial information. I mean, will that will that do it? Uh, I, I don't I, know. Is Rosina. it enough to say you know what you're about to hear may be nonsense? <laughs> so don't don't take. I mean, it just seems like a really weird thing to do, because it's sort of admitting that the content is problematic, but also saying we're not going to take it off. I agree with that. I think I think, well, part of it is, I
1: mean, I, like you do, I believe in freedom of speech, and I believe freedom of speech should be used responsibly. And we can argue about that. But I have to say, if you're one of the 11 million listeners of Joe Rogan and you take medical advice from a stand-up comedian, I, I would wonder about your sanity. Uh, you know, I take medical advice from medical people. What what I do think is interesting is why people like that feel they should pontificate about something so important. I mean, you and I, I don't know if you've got any cures for cancer you'd ch- like to share with us. We We just don't do that. It's just... It's irresponsible and, and 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 stupid. So, listen. If I get that much money from Spotify, I'll do it. <laughs> yeah, hundred million. Yes, I, I suppose About to a hundred million. We should say,
0: <laughs> <laughs> you know, if it's good enough for the Secretary of Health to be sharing. Um, you know, cure for new cures for cancer <laughs> that are in fact not new. Why shouldn't I make a little, a little bit of money on the side? That's okay. That would be leveling up, Alex. Yes. Um, uh, if Spotify are listening, we are available now. Nadal, uh, in, in a slightly related matter, uh, Nadal broke records by winning his twenty-first Grand Slam uh, over the weekend while anti-vaxxer Djokovic watched it at home, presumably stewing. Will this act as a cautionary tale, do you think, that brings more people over to the side of science? Or will it just further polarise debate, making those who are anti be even more anti? Are there still basically soft edges to uh, to this hard core that we can nibble at to bring more people over to the vaccination side?
1: I I suspect there are. And I also suspect that as people, you know, there was resistance to, there's resistance to every kind of change, including when vaccinations first started. I mean, it does seem an odd thing to have a vaccination perhaps uh, at all. If you look back in human history, why would you, why would you do this? So we've got used to that. We've got used to, to treatments. The thing, the thing that astonishes me is that people who are suspicious of something which has gone through a rigorous scientific process, are prepared to listen to total quacks who say, I've got this horse medicine or something which is going to cure you, or or Donald Trump talking about bleach or uh, that kind of thing. Mm. So it's not that people just don't believe in the science. They're prepared to believe in absolute nonsense. Maybe the, the wonderful story of Nadal, great tennis player. I was cheering him on, of course, as as so many people were. Maybe that will be, as you say, nibbling at the edges. But eventually, eventually, people will come round to recognising that the risks, as opposed to the benefits, are very, very small, and for a very, very small number of people. And so therefore, it is absolutely worth having it for most of us.
0: Now, finally, there is a, a rally on Saturday at midday in central London to protest the elections bill which is part of this triumvirate of quite anti-democratic bills that the government is bringing forward you have the elections bill you have the police crime and sentencing and courts bill and then you have the nationality and borders bill all of those are at various stages of being considered and on all of those it is the lords that have a, a put the brakes on the more egregious and authoritarian provisions in those bills. What do you think of the job the Lords have been doing? Is it really quite strange that we have the unelected chamber currently guarding our democracy? It is, isn't it? It's, it's so odd. I mean... <laughs> I wonder if the
1: Lords are one of those strange organisations that definitely shouldn't work in theory, but actually in practice isn't so bad. So I've got to know over the years in journalism, knowing a number of politicians who've been uh, put up to the Lords and some other people who've done some great stuff. I've got round to thinking that there's about 800 members of the House of Lords and about 500 of them are a total waste of time. Uh, but the other 250 or thereabouts are really pretty hard-working people, actually, mm and they they are there, many of them, because they don't need anything from the, any Prime Minister of the day. Yeah. They are quite independent-minded. It, it doesn't mean to they say there's crossbenchers. They might be Labour or they might be Tories, but they are decent people. And just, just recently, I, I happened to be talking to Shami Chakrabarti, who used to work for Liberty, so was on the left politically, and is now in the House of Lords, and Ken Clark, who is obviously conservative and is on, on the right. And they are you know, you get them in a room together and you have fun and you have laughter and they're like normal human beings and they disagree quite strongly on other things, but they don't dislike each other. Yeah. Uh, and that is not the same mood as in the commons. No. And they're, they're, they're also not people, they've, they're ambitious for the country, but they're not ambitious for themselves. They don't want, they don't, they're not running for the leadership of anything. So uh, that's a long way of saying, I think that they, well, what used to be said about the american senate that the senate is where the hot a tea of the of congress is cooled in a in a Ooh, saucer mm, mm. and maybe the lords are i hope will take some of these very and, this not democratic house which is part of our democratic system might reinforce some democratic values
0: do you think there is scope for this um, rally on saturday to turn into a sort of mass protest about everything including partygate especially if we get a report that criticizes johnson quite strongly and uh, and he signals that he's not going anywhere S- considering this rally has been sort of approved by the local authorities and the police is there potential for saturday to turn into quite a difficult day for johnson I hadn't thought of that, actually, Alice, but but it, it could be, couldn't it? I mean,
1: we're not the French, so we don't have quite the anger uh, at rallies. The at Rallies, I mean, I I marched on quite a few things and we're, we're all quite kind and people say, excuse me, when they bump into each <laughs> other and they tend to talk to the police and the, on the rallies and most things. So we're a fairly polite nation, but nevertheless, if, it, if there, there happened to be a big turnout... It might just be the start of people saying we've had enough of this bloke. And whether, whether, of course, MPs listen, because what they listen to is their constituents and they listen to, most of all, they listen to their party members, which is a kind of narrower group of people. But it can't do much harm to turn out on the streets and say that we are extremely disappointed, to put it in a polite British way. Uh, that we've got a government at a time where we, there could be a big land war in Europe where we don't trust the prime minister and we don't believe almost anything that he says uh, based on our previous experience of him. That might be quite a good thing.
0: Hmm. Down with this sort of thing. Um, <laughs> and that's the end of this edition of Start Your Week. Gavin Esler, thanks for joining me. Thank you, Alex. It's been a pleasure. If you found this podcast useful, then you can help us out and spread the word. Why not forward the link to this episode to three friends you think might enjoy it? It's really easy. There's a share button in every app and nothing wins people over like a personal recommendation. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow. The Bunker Daily was presented
1: by Alexandre. The group editor was Andrew Harrison. The lead producer was Jacob Jarvis, and the producers were Jacob Archbold, Yelna Sofranievich, and me, Alex Reese. Theme tune by Kenny Dickinson. The bunker is a Podmaster's production.